You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system, up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant, with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of, of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, your, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james. This isn't your average podcast, and he's not your average host. The James Altucher Show presents Wall Street Insane. We've had a couple of episodes now talking about various experiences we've had. In just a few years, we were in neck deep in the finance business. We met so many scammers or gray area people, like everybody from Madoff on down. But this next one, I will start it off. I'll just basically say this guy was a reader of mine and he wanted to meet. This is all the way back in, I want to say, was it 2003? And he wanted to oh, own you were already trading with us. We were day traders and I was writing for a bunch of sites, but most notably the, the street.com and realmoney.com and Yahoo Finance. And this guy wanted to meet. And so I met him. And in the course of it, he told me he owned a mental health facility. Basically, they helped kids who were alcoholics, like young people who were alcoholics. They had a facility. They had nurses and doctors on staff. The kids would stay in the bed. 
the government would pay for everybody like $130 a night. And so his whole business was the more beds he had, the more money he could make because there were always alcoholic kids. And supposedly the doctors helped them or nurses helped them. I was skeptical of that. But anyway, he had just gotten a $10 million offer for his business. And I said, don't take that offer. Let me try to get you more. And so we started consulting for him, the three of us basically. And then I remember I called you and you said, yeah, let's do this. We got together. You got a, a list from your buddy in private equity. You got a list of all the companies that were buying up mental health facilities yes. in what's called a roll-up. Like yep. there are some companies that would buy up a one in each state and then they would combine them and get all the back office synergies of doing one accounting for everybody instead of 50 different accounting back offices. And you know they would make more money and then they would go public and on and on. That whole concept of a roll-up could also be a scam, but there were plenty doing it. And so we would call them up and say we were hedge fund managers, which is true. Yeah. We kind of acted a little bit like we were calling them because yeah. we were interested in them right. as a hedge fund manager. What we were really interested in, we would say this investor of ours wanted to sell his business. Would they be interested in? I remember though, we had to help them make their book, quote unquote, about how good they were. They had no idea. I mean, they didn't know what they were doing and maybe we didn't either, you know? <laughs> and so, But we had a background in this area, right? We knew a lot of private equity firms, a lot of banks, a lot of hedge funds. And so we put together the selling memorandum. We put together the pitch book and kind of laid out their business in a way that probably no one else had ever really laid out. I mean, they didn't have that kind of experience or background. Basically, we did industry standard in the sense that we said, don't focus on what your revenues were last year. Focus on what they'll be next year and the year after. And of course, those numbers are imaginary. Correct. And so we would just take the best optimistic view of what they could do. Like, Yeah. And that kind of ties back into what we've always talked about, whether it be VCs, banks, hedge funds, right? I mean, you always see the hockey stick, right? You always see the growth numbers are astronomical. Yeah. They're all going to make like a trillion dollars. In, in yeah. Right. Years. You add new facilities, new beds and all stuff that's reasonable, right? That you can, you know, reasonably say, you know, will happen. And, and you know, it's a great business because the only limiting factor is how many beds you have. So they could just buy like an abandoned hotel, you know, throw some doctors in there, clean up the rooms, and now they have 200 extra beds. Right. But one thing they had in their favor, they needed a moat. And their moat was the president of the company, not the CEO, but the president of the company was this either the Senate majority leader or the Senate minority leader of that state. And so they were the only company regulated to treat these kids yes. in that state. The reason why the roll-up model for those kinds of small medical facilities was so popular was because healthcare is so regulated, it's really hard to start new facilities. Right. In fact, I remember either the CEO or the president, one of them said to me once, he said, population is getting older, demand for medical services keeps going up. When is the last time you saw a new hospital being built in your neighborhood? And I thought that was a very powerful statement. So the fact that they not only had a facility already licensed, but that they sort of had a politician on the payroll who I believe was the chair of that state's healthcare committee. And, and I don't remember the details, but he had this very impressive political degree that something like third generation politician and no one in his family had ever lost an election. Yeah. And he was going to be the next governor. I mean, he was in line to be the next governor. Right. Yes. right. He ran. Okay, so what happened? Like, 
Dan, you were, did more of the calls than I did. Well, we basically, you know, ran a process, which was great. I mean, we were all in our respective, I don't think you were, James, but Omen and I were in our parents' basements. You know, you were in an apartment <laughs> somewhere. And um, we ran a process. And just one random day, we kind of thought to ourselves, look, we're focusing on all these PE firms and stuff, but why don't we look for some industry players, right? Why don't we look for some big healthcare companies? And um, we ran a screen and we found some very large public healthcare players. And I remember one day we were kind of looking at the maps of all their facilities. And the one particular company literally had the entire country covered except this particular state. They literally, it was bizarre how they literally had nothing, probably maybe in a two or three state area. Yeah, I think it was in a two or three state area. They had nothing. Yeah, it was kind of regional. And so I sent the CFO a cold email. I didn't even have the CFO's email. I just did a classic move that you taught me where you find the email address of anyone in that company and then you just assume it's the same, right? First letter, first name, and not last name. And I did that with all those kind of larger players we saw. But this particular one hit. And a couple of days later, the CFO wrote back and said, can you guys jump on a call with the CEO? And we were like, oh, what do we do now? You know, we didn't, we didn't expect that would come so quickly. And so then it came down to us, before that even happened, coaching the CEO of the company we were representing because he was a wild card, right? Let, let's call him Jack. Jack. So we had to coach Jack on how this process would kind of unfold because, you know, this was the management team of a very large Fortune 500 public company. And our management team, right, had a politician and some family members. And Jack himself had been a prior drug addict. Correct. We're not implicating anyone. We're not saying the name of him or the company. And he told me this one story. He told me the last time he used, he was in a snowstorm and he was speeding and like, and he got pulled over. And he basically had cocaine all over him and snow. <laughs> and the police officer said, listen, I'm going to let you go, but I don't ever want to see you again. And Jack got so scared of this that he never used again, apparently. And he told me he called that police station to thank that officer. And apparently that officer didn't exist. So he thought it was this like mystical encounter. Yeah. I'm just describing this way. This is who we were dealing with. And also he kept sending me his subscriptions for things like Bang Bus or whatever. And I'm like, I don't need your subscription to Bang Bus. And there were certain chairs in his house you yeah. couldn't sit in. So anyway, so we run the process. It's a classic process. I would say we did a very, very good job. And it, and it was very stressful, right? I mean, you had to manage both sides as you would in any situation where the buyer is going through the kind of emotions of buying a company and the seller is doing the same. But the in-between, I mean, getting it to the finish line was incredibly stressful. And it was stressful for a number of reasons. And all of us kind of had different reasons. But it was ultimately going to be, and we'll get to it, what would start us helping set up a family office and running a family office. And OMA was running the trading side of it. And there was a fund-to-fund side of it. So there, there were just a lot of things a lot of reasons for everyone to be stressful. Yeah, like ultimately from this sale, and we'll get to numbers in a second, from this sale, we set up his family office. He used the money he made to initially seed our fund of funds. And then he wasn't in it anymore, but then we were able to raise other money. We were day trading a substantial 
part of his investment. And Omid, you worked with him the longest, oh, actually. Yeah, yeah. You kept working for a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, to his credit, when I was trying to build my own trading business after we all parted ways, he seated me. And it should be said, he was always kind and fair. Yeah. 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 I, by the way, he was very fair. Like we were doing consulting with him. We never had any kind of contract or deal, but he always paid us. And he was not a bad guy, no, but no. it was just stressful. Like I remember one time, Thanksgiving of 2003, when I first talked to him about his company, and he had just gotten this offer for 10 million. I said, let us have a try. But in January, two months later, he got an official offer from us, a company that we reached out to for $41.5 million cash, yeah. which was unbelievable step up from 10 million in just two months. And I remember one time he called me and he said, hey, James, if I can get $41 million, I'm just going to keep growing this. Next year, I can get 60 million. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm like, Jack, you just got an offer for 10 million. It's just kind of arbitrary how these things happen. This company needs your company. 41 is kind of ridiculous. And he's like, no, it's not. Like, We're going to grow. We should be worth 100 million. Yeah. And so then I called his wife and she was helping him run the company. She was like the COO of the company. And I said, Jill, it's Jack and Jill. I said, Jill, what did you do at work today? And I'm quoting her. She said, I had to clean shit off the walls all day. Some girl had an episode and shat on the walls and I was cleaning it up all day. And I said, well, what if that girl had jumped off the roof, had killed herself? And she said, well, we would be worth zero then. And I'm like, well, that could have happened. In a few weeks, you're going to make $41 million and not have to clean shit off walls anymore. I forget how the conversation ended, but like 15 minutes later, Jack called me and said, okay, we'll sell the company for $41 million. So take it. Make sure they don't go away. Yeah. She was a much younger woman that he had married, I think he didn't want to lose what he had there. Yeah. I have to say, Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting... And, and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I remember last year I was asked to go speak at the Norway Business Summit, and I was so excited because side by side with the Business Summit was the Norway Chess Summit, where I would get to see in person Magnus Carlsen, the best chess player ever, playing chess. But it was four plane rides like to get to the city that ultimately I would go to. So I 
really did not want to fly for 14 hours. And they, they were willing to pay for everything for me. So I, I, at first class. So I didn't want to fly for 14 hours and not be first class. So I had to hurry up and get on the phone immediately to get those first class tickets to a chess tournament in Norway. And listen, this is just like when, you know, you have to know when you want the best of anything, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. And I did not want those seats to fill up. So it's like if you're hiring for your business, you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. I just was talking to a friend this morning where he was trying to decide between some programmers and he waited a little too long and both the programmers he was interviewing took other jobs, like great jobs. So, you know, what's the best way then to hire the best as quickly as possible? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates fast. And right now you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Just try it and see. You'll, you'll find out. So ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify the top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I know this because one time I signed up as an employee, potential employee on ZipRecruiter, and I got nonstop, really, I was, even though obviously I wasn't looking for a job, I love what I do, but I just wanted to see what would happen because they were a, a, a sponsor of my podcast. And the most interesting jobs would pop up in my emails like, hey, you're qualified for this or that. And so it's interesting to see. So just just go there and try it. Try ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Amp up your hiring performance. Now, this is more for if you're hiring, but amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So my perspective was interesting because I was not involved with any of the deal-making stuff. I had nothing to contribute. I had no experience in that domain. I was just doing the day-to-day of the other businesses that we had going on. And I remember how excited and stressed you two were becoming as it became closer and closer to closing because it was such a huge accomplishment to get such a offer and so much more than and our business was going to totally change because he was committed to investing the money with us right and i remember like towards the end there there was just this flurry of activity and i would talk to you james we'd be in the office or i'd be on the phone with dan and you'd be like we don't want to get excited yet because it hasn't yeah. closed and then personally i was very excited because completely unrelated to the financial situation, but the president, I don't think we gave him a name, but maybe we'll call him John. John, being active in politics, there was one time where there was a lunch or something and I came with you guys and him and I sort of hit it off chatting about whatever politics was going on at the time. And he promised me to take me to one of the big two parties' national convention. 
He was like, yeah, I'm a delegate from my state. We're going to be on the floor. And I was like, that's so cool. He's like, you want to come? I can take guests. And this was going to be like my personal life-changing win from this yeah. deal closing that I would get to walk on the floor of a national convention in a very important election. Yeah. And what's funny, and that's kind of critical in the sense that the buyer, the acquirer, was we very much rightfully or wrongfully hyped up the idea that the president of the company was likely going to be the next governor of this state and was very powerful in this region. The buyer liked that, obviously. And this goes along with the fact that people like, if they understand what's going on, even if it's a gray area, as long as they understand it, they like being involved. Yeah. (laughs) Because they know it's lucrative. But I remember the day the deal was going to close, the state had to approve it. And that could take a while. like Because the state gave this one company all the regulatory passes, but they didn't give the buyer all the regulatory approvals. So that had to happen. All those regulatory approvals had to transfer over to the buyer. And everybody had totally forgotten about this. But John, the politician, I remember he made like two or three calls and then he said, it's done. Let's just go to the accounting office. Yeah, you remember when that was going on because do you remember publicly? I was probably ca- talking to yeah. you like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like they were all waiting around waiting for the governor to sign publicly, something. Publicly, there were people clearly from the other party in that state that was publicly calling it out saying, this guy's the president of a company and and just this is like rubber stamp. Like, and so we were worried. And so we're talking to John. He's like, relax, it's done. It's done. Yeah, and that was shocking. Yeah. It was actually like the amount of blatant political influence yes. that he was using in a situation that was clearly to his own financial benefit. Right. Which, by the way, might not be illegal. Right. We don't know. I have no idea. I assume it wasn't because all of this was public information. Right. Right? Like the yeah. fact that he was involved yeah. with this company in some kind of a leadership position, it wasn't a secret. No. No. And I'm sure he had to disclose it. Yeah. And I don't like, it's hard to get away with not disclosing being the president of a notable local company. So we were all, I remember at the time, amazed as to the fact that this is actually how the political process works. Yeah. I remember one time he lived far enough away. Sometimes I had to fly there. Sometimes I drove for like eight hours there, but I was going up to his place like three times a week just to kind of hold his hand through the process. I think when you're younger, you hustle a lot more. Like I can't see myself now leaving my house three or four times a week, let alone like going to some other person's place. And one time I was staying over the day the woman who was the CFO of the public company that was acquiring him was going to visit. And so I stayed overnight, but they cooked some food. I got food poisoning and I was all night long. I'm in the room bordering his room, you know, the Jack and Jill's room, and I'm throwing up and bad everything all night. Like I was so sick. And Jack even told me the next day, he's like, oh, we heard you like everything. I was going to go in there and like hold your hand. And I'm like, please, I'm glad you didn't do that. (laughs) That was just the worst. That's like the last time I ever got sick in my stomach, but that was just horrible. I remember that because I remember actually, I think you called or whatever, emailed and said, hey, this is awful. I'm going to have to get out of here. And I'm like, no, no, you got to stay. You got to stay there. I mean, I felt it coming and everybody hates throwing up, but I felt it coming yeah. and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be the worst experience of my life, yeah. probably starting in about 15 minutes. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. And then the day after the deal closed, so, okay, the John, the politician guy, he got his massive bonus, like a seven figure bonus, yeah. and then immediately fired Jack 
and nobody ever spoke to Jack again from that company. Like the politician who had worked for him for 20 years, nobody ever spoke to him again. Yeah. I think we concluded that the president had made a deal under the table with the buyer because the swiftness of them getting rid of the founder and CEO of a business and the fact that I remember, I think he called you once, James, like almost in tears because not only had he been fired from his own business, but him and John were friends for over 20 years. And he had told us stories about how like he had been the guy's alibi when he was with his mistress or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, which is public info too about John. Like that's one of the reasons among many that he didn't become governor. That came out. Yes. Yeah. So I I remember like there was the betrayal and we were shocked and I was personally disappointed because it was slowly sinking in that I would not be going to the national (laughs) convention of a major (laughs) political party. But then things got quiet for a while. We were at this point only dealing with Jack because to his credit, right? He stuck to his word. He did. And he invested with us and we did various business things together. And then if I recall correctly, the next time we heard about the deal was it was the day before election day. And I don't think our our guy was running for governor yet, but he was up for re-election for whatever his seat was. Yes. He had never lost and no one in his family had ever lost. But the day before in a local newspaper that we had never heard of, there was an expose that detailed everything that went down with this particular deal. Yes. Including how John had used his political position to get certain approvals and then personally profited from it. And then the next day he lost the election. Yeah. He's making a comeback now, right? It's like 15 years later. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to. Yeah. What did he do? Was he just a lawyer after that? or I mean, he still was with the company. He had a job, right. Yeah, he was president of the company. They made him run the company after they fired uh, Check. What am I talking about? There is one more funny story around the closing. And I don't, it's, um, Jack was, as we've all pointed out, was stuck to his word, honored everything he ever told us, you know, was, was a good guy all in all. I mean, you know, but we still joke about the closing dinner right? Oh, yeah. That was insane. They started refusing him alcohol. Like, like he couldn't drink. Yeah, that was before dinner. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, But if you recall, we had a funny kind of gentleman's bet because you thought when we arrived there, <laughs> there would be brand new cars and other things waiting for us. And that is because you saw that. You personally had that happen during the dot-com boom where you saw when people sold companies where people had helped, you have personal stories to that. Right. I'll say this story because I was the person in the middle and it was Method 5 run by Odeo Resi, who's like now, you were like roommates with Elon Musk. So he's doing something with VCs and Elon and whatever. And he started this company, Method 5. I introduced them to Exceed, which was doing a roll-up of digital services firms. And... Method 5, I helped negotiate the deal. Method 5 sold for like 20 to $30 million. And then Ed Bennett, he was the former CEO of VH1, Viacom Cable, a bunch of other things. Prodigy was his former CEO of Prodigy. He was a big investor in the company and for a while, one of our partners. And one of the guys he brought into Method 5 gave him a gift-wrapped Porsche. Like the guy called Ed. He said, Ed, walk outside your house. Ed walked outside the house. It was like a gift-wrapped 
Porsche. Like there was like a, what do you call it? A bow tie, yeah. like around the yeah. Porsche. And then I remember saying to one other guy involved, Hey, you know, I did all the introductions here. Do I, yeah. I'm going to have my hand out. And they're like, nah, yeah, you, you, you get nothing. You get nothing. You were just doing your job. And so if you remember when we got to the hotel, there wasn't a Porsche. There was, <laughs> there was like a, literally in our hotel rooms, there was like a little basket with like soap, shampoo, Cheetos, and some Skittles. Like that was our, yeah. that was our gift basket. So we're talking bad about this guy. I feel a little bad about that. He did honor every agreement with he us did. and so on. And he was probably so trash. He didn't realize what he was doing, but he started like making out with every woman at the dinner. And you and I both were making sure, Hey, yeah. we were like blocking. We were like running defense. Yes. So we were standing in between, in between him and our wives. And everyone that he was doing that with, you know, had just received large checks, you know? So yeah, that was a wild scene. But again, he did follow through. We did set up his family office and, yeah, and that gave us experience doing due diligence yeah. on hundreds, if not thousands of hedge yeah. funds. Like we were in meeting after meeting after meeting with hedge funds yeah. and we learned so much about every investing strategy. Like that was kind of really our, our MBAs was from that because of that deal. And again, Omid was running the trading operation. There was the fund of funds and then there was the trading. Yeah, and I think the last time I saw him was I was at this point just trading money for him directly. And I guess I had a profitable quarter and he paid me a quarterly incentive fee. And he was at a summer home somewhere in a different state. And he told me like, hey, good job. I want to pay you, but I want to have lunch. So he actually flew me out for the day, like for a couple of hours. We had a very nice lunch. And then he gave me a check and I went back to the airport and came home. And I sort of realized like one reason why people like him invest in general is because it's a source of entertainment. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Like people like investing in other people who are doing something that might be exciting. Like I was trading futures at the time because it's interesting and exciting. And yet all these questions about the market and what I think is going to happen and my strategy and stuff like that. And that was always kind of like a sense I had of him. After years of running a successful business, doing what he did with the treatment center, he was kind of bored. Yeah. I, I think you're right on that. I, I actually kind of forgot that until you brought that up. One of the things that was good and bad in that situation is, if you recall, he'd want to talk to you in detail about a trade. Yeah. And then he started giving almost advice on trade <laughs> and you know he kind of felt like he was the money and he had made money and we kind of said look this is a different arena this isn't you know kind of what you did and i think that was part of it where more and more he wanted to talk on a daily basis he didn't want to be kind of a passive um investor so well, that's one of those, it's like, uh, I'm going to paraphrase what they say about banks, but if you're on a billion dollar fund and someone invests a million dollars, then you own them and you never have to take their phone call. But if you're running a $5 million operation or 10 million, which I probably was back then, and one person is your 50% yeah. of your investment, then you take that phone call then yeah. and you spend as many hours as they want debating strategy with them. By the way, you're kind of misquoting a young man named Donald Trump in the book, The Art of the Deal, <laughs> uh, it, written in 1991 or 92. 
in the art of the deal, he he goes bankrupt. And he's explaining to his little daughter, Ivanka, that if you owe the bank $2 million, the bank owns you. If you owe the bank $2 billion, you own the bank. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, that's the right. actual quote. But but good, good that, job. That's him originally? <laughs> yeah. Wow, because I've always yeah. loved that quote. Yeah. Who knew that the Don yeah. came up Yeah, he it. or the author of The Art of right. the Deal. It. it was a ghostwriter. Right. 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 So what, what about it? But he says he said it to Ivanka, so I'm assuming he said that to the ghostwriter yeah. and, and the ghostwriter put that in there. brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play. Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You know, one other thing I'll remember, and this was years later, many years later, but I was just beginning the process of getting a divorce many years later. And I told Jack, we were still texting and talking to each other occasionally. And this is the last time I spoke to him because I was so upset after this. I told him, and it was very, I said, this is private, but I'm getting a divorce. And then the next day I hear from my then wife, because we were on good terms and we're still on good terms. I hear from my then wife, hey, Jill, you know, Jack's wife, Jill, called me and she says all these things like, hey, Jack and James were never that really that close. Be careful in a divorce. Let's get together for lunch and talk about it. And I'm like, what did you say? And she's like, I don't, I'm not going to get together with her. We have our agreement and, and whatever. And I called Jack this one last time and I'm like, why did you do that? And he said, oh, I didn't do anything. And I'm like, no, I know you did something. Yeah. I know I didn't tell Jill. You must have. And then she's saying all this stuff about you and me. Like, what is this all about? And he's like, oh, you know, girls will be girls. Like, ignore all that. And I'm like, no, this was a real breach of trust yeah. here. Yeah. And what was she planning on telling my wife? Like, I told you everything's like, a, you know, I told you everything. And so that was the last time I spoke to him. Yeah. That was that. What is the company still exist? Like I know it was owned by the big public company. It does still exist. They wrote it off though on their financials, right? Like they assumed it was a big loss. Yes. Like they took a $41 million loss. I'm not sure of that, but I believe that to be the case. But, you know, it's almost like the private equity example I gave the firm that I went to work at, like it fit their narrative. It completed their kind of puzzle where they now had the entire country mapped out. And so it made sense for them. They might have just bought it honestly for the politician, just to have the politician that was that powerful in that region. But yeah, I do believe they, they wrote it off. 
Wow. I mean, the stock, of course, is down. I'm looking at it now because I was unsure if it was still public. The stock's down from its all-time high, but back when we were knew them, their stock was at 25, and now it's at 105. Hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things that still resonates with me to this day about that experience was when it became apparent that here are two adults, John and Jack, and they've had this friendship that had gone back some like 20 years, but it was one of convenience. Yeah, for sure. They were sort of like, you know, one was using the other for his political connections. And then the politician was using our guy to fund his campaigns and to have a high paying job. And the fact that once you introduce this idea of tens of millions of dollars going around, it ended instantaneously. Yeah. Yeah. And when you say it out loud, it's not that surprising. Obviously, money changes people and a lot of money could change them quickly. But it was fascinating to have this sort of like inside perspective where we experienced them as supposedly this inseparable duo. Yeah. And then one betrayed the other and never took his phone call ever again. Yeah. Instantly, literally within days. I was going to say within days and within days of Jack giving John a huge seven-figure bonus. Yeah, like a million dollars. Yeah. Or more than that, actually. It was more than that. And, you know, and I will say, like, the three of us, we've been through lots of stressful situations. We've known each other for... Dan, you and I have known each other now 23 years. Omid, about 20 years. And we've all had our problems with each other at different points. But you kind of get through it. Like, that's the key to life, is to work with people you like and respect. And you know, I think that's really important. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of life lessons that we learned from Jack. Yeah. We we did a big M&A deal. We learned all about a billion different hedge fund strategies. Oh, I kind of knew how psychological an M&A deal was, but it's really painful. That's the hardest part of any kind of acquisition deal. And then we started running a much bigger fund for us. Like we didn't have the normal Wall Street pedigree. So for us, this was a sizable amount. And then it kind of launched us into the fund of hedge funds business, which was a business we were not prior in. And I would argue the the trading side for Omid. I mean, Omid traded for yeah. quite some time from starting. You know. Omid's still trading for him. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that's, right. that's right. That's right. No, but if any of your listeners out there have access, I, I would still love to be able to attend the major political convention <laughs> at some point. Wait, Omid, look who you're talking to. How many senators, congressmen, governors, presidential candidates have I had on my podcast? It's true. You probably don't know the answer, but I will say at least 30. Not to mention political speech writers, political campaign managers. You want to go to a national convention? Done. 2024 <laughs> is done. We'll go to both of them. Listen, listen. John's trying to make a comeback. So maybe, oh, you get you got to call him on it. You know, unfortunately, Dan, I have principles, and that's right. Uh, <laughs> that's right. And, and and you know, I wouldn't even like. I would not ask James to be like, "Hey, James, yeah, can you use some of this this capital you've built with these politicians to get me?" Like, I do personally, in some ways, now more than ever, believe that you have to earn the things that you want. Yeah. So, if there's someone for whom I can be a value, and then they can reciprocate by taking me to a cool event, then I would be happy. Well, Omid, you're, you're such a crypto expert. I could just say, hey, this guy will explain crypto to you completely, but he wants to go to the Democratic or the Republican National Convention. I've, we can go to both conventions. Let's do it. 
And helping people in power understand crypto is like a win-win. I have to add on that, by the way, and you probably saw this, Oman. I don't know if you did, James, but did you see today, don't have the agency off the top of my head, but they passed either a law or a policy within the United States government. If you're going to have anything to do with crypto, with any policy, regulation, anything, you cannot own any crypto. You cannot be an investor in any company or fund that invests in crypto which I find fascinating that they've never done that with stocks or, or anything else, right? right? I mean, they, <laughs> you, you know, like you can still make policy for companies or, or everyone argues about the insider trading abilities of, of senators and congresspeople, but they yeah. did that with crypto today. That's going to be unreasonable because they're all going to, unlike stocks, crypto is functional. So they're going to, what if they're spending That's some true. crypto? They can't make laws on it? Yeah. And you know, the trade, since we, we started talking about junk, so just to bring it full circle, one of the reasons all these former bankers like Goldman people go into politics is because since you're not allowed to, say, be a, like a major shareholder of an investment bank, if you're a treasury secretary, you get to get out without paying capital gains tax. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. And and not only that, you all your options like immediately vest because like, what is Goldman Sachs going to screw you right when you're going to be the secretary of treasury? Right. No, they're going to like give you everything you want. Right. So I guess maybe you know, we're in a bear market now, but if the crypto prices go back up someday, maybe we'll see like, uh, you know, Sam Bankman fried of FTX suddenly decide, like announce that he's retiring from crypto to go into public service yes. because he's a patriot That's right. and wants to serve his country. That's right. But the one difference is, you know, most people who are neck deep in crypto, they don't want the dollar. That's why they're in yeah. crypto. <laughs> They prefer their crypto to the dollar. That's true, but he's a trader at heart. So yeah. if he feels like the things are going to turn like they did earlier this year and he doesn't want to pay those capital gains taxes, then public service calls. Yeah, that's right. Well, you guys, we have many more stories to tell and we'll wait for the next episode of this to tell them. But thanks once again for coming on the podcast as always. Thank you. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.